Joe David Wilson has graduated from this life. Going forward, we will continue to honor his legacy, knowledge, and love of thy Lord by continuing to play sermons pre-recorded prior to his graduation. We invite you to honor his memory by attending worship services or joining us online for a further Bible study. Welcome to In Search of the Mind of God. We invite you to search with us the mind of God. Searching His mind, we can always be sure our salvation will not be based on man's ideas or false feelings. It will never be our purpose to promote any denominational doctrine of any religious group. Man is fallible. God is not. This program is brought to you by the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ, 384 East Midway Road, White City, Florida. Bible study courses and personal teaching are available. We purpose to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. As we study this subject, which is called kenosis, there's a lot of people who don't understand that when Jesus came to this world, He did not lay aside anything that He possessed. He came to complete a mission. Jesus did not become a man. He came in the likeness of man. If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of John, the first chapter and the 14th verse, he, was, he came into his own, and his own received him not. But when he came into this world, he took upon himself the likeness of human flesh. He did not become a human. Now, he came and was housed in a body that was shared, that had shared in it the soul and spirit of humanity, but he himself was God. In fact, that's what John says, if you'll read with me in John, the first chapter. And it says in verse uh, 10, we'll start. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came into his own and his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. See, the, the word was made flesh. He came and was housed in the flesh. He preceded that in which he was housed because Jesus was the Son of God from before time and in the period called eternity. Being before time, he came in the likeness of humanity. He was the Son of God by the Grand Council and was made to be such so that he could be a messenger of that council. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Now this word counselor here in the Hebrew language is he was the messenger of that council. That council was when God determined in his mind that his will would be to create human flesh and to save it even though at the time he did these things man nor any concept of man did not exist 
So Jesus came to give us a message. He was an apostle. He was an angel. All of these terms refer to him and, of course, describe the functions that he uh, participated in. And also, he was the messenger of the council. He became flesh. He did not begin to be. Flesh was that that he was housed in. At the same time he was there, he always and was ever in the bosom of the Father in heaven. While you're in John, look at the 18th verse. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father. When is it being stated that he was in the bosom of the Father? At the time this was being mentioned. At the same time, he being in the bosom of the Father was in human flesh and was there as a part of that which God had made existent so that he could die on Calvary's tree. He had to be a part of the human flesh because when he came, he became a part of the blood and the sinew and the strength of that human body. So that body in which he was housed and the other nature called man was that which was they who shared the blood of that body. He became flesh so that he could shed his blood because it was the determination of the grand council that he would shed his blood so that men could be forgiven of sin. So there was two natures and two personalities. There was a human personality or nature and then there was the God personality or nature in that one body. Somebody said, well, if this personality came, the other had to begin to be. That shows you that there were two distinct types of being in that body. For the one who came was the high and the holy one who inhabited eternity. The one who began to be was he of the human nature that had no beginning prior to the uh, fertilization in the womb of Mary, the mother of Christ. So when both were housed, they entered or were interconnected with that flesh and blood that was a part of that human body. What he took on, he redeemed. He did not lay aside either nature when he took on humanity and became a part of that body. He, though, entered into and became a, participate, a participant in so that he might have his own blood. He was truly, as the Bible teaches, God with us, or Emmanuel. And he didn't lay aside either nature. Now, for the people who try to let on like that Jesus laid aside his God nature, that would be teaching that he was not God when that um, nature was laid aside. Are the people that said he laid aside his human nature, that would be to say he was uh, as a human or that being didn't have a humanity in it or another nature or another being, but he was truly God and man. Then another thing about Jesus, he was a monogenes. 
Now, a monogenes is not talking about the human Jesus. It's talking about the one who came from eternity. And the fact that he came made him completely different and distinct from any other human being as an entity in this world, but it also made him independent and distinct as deity. Like Isaac, he was the only one of his kind. And that's what monogenes means. Only one of his kind or his gene. And has Isaac had brothers and sisters because Abraham had other sons and daughters, there was only one like Isaac. And Isaac, is fact, in fact, is called a monogenes. Isaac was the only child that was born of Abraham and Sarah. Now, there were brothers and sisters that were fathered by Abraham, but none of them had Sarah as a mother. So Isaac was distinct, distinctly different. He was of a kind called humanity, but he was a distinct one of his kind because he was the only human being that had a father, Abraham, and a mother, Sarah. That's the reason those people who try to let on like that uh, Sarah was wrong when she said cast out the bondwoman and her son do not understand why she explained or exclaimed that. There was going to be nothing that was going to be like Isaac. No one could inherit what Isaac could inherit. No one could be what Isaac would be. And so as a type, Jesus became the antitype and he was the only one of his kind not only in humanity, but also in deity. So he's the only one that had blood because he was the only deity that ever was housed in a human body. A lot of times people misunderstand when Acts 20 and 28 is quoted. If you want to flip over there in your Bibles and read it, Paul called elders from Ephesus to Miletus. And he said, take heed unto yourselves and unto the whole flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And there's people that actually, with impudence or lack of understanding, and I don't know which, try to let on like that there's no distinct clarity given here. Which member of deity had a human body in which he came in the flesh and blood and was housed. It wasn't God the Father. God the Father's never had a human body. It wasn't God the Spirit. God the Spirit's never been in a human body. So if it's the church of God that God purchased with his own blood, that shows again that he's the only one of his kind, only one of his type be it both uh, uh, humanity and deity. He was sent at an appointed time. In the book of Galatians, the fourth chapter, and about verse four, God determined at an appointed time, in the fullness of time it is called, 
in the pleroma of time. When God was ready, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. He was sent as the sole representative of a character or a type or a being of they who sent him. Who sent him? God sent forth his son. He was the sole representative of that type of being. He sent, and the word sent here is an interesting word, <coughs> excuse me, in the English, or in the, in the Greek language. It actually means to dispatch for a special purpose from or out of heaven. He who was sent was commissioned to represent the sender. So God sent forth his son. He came on a mission. He came for a special purpose. He came from out of heaven where God was, and he came to represent the sender who was staying in heaven that sent him. So God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. And the purpose he had in coming was to redeem them that were under the law. Now the word redeem means to buy back. That they might receive the adoption of sons. And we're going to go through that series on adoption again because it's been a long time since we have. But there's a lot of people that don't understand this idea of adoption and what it has done for us as the God of heaven has explained this in his word. But Christ was a nature. He was God that assumed a nature that was called human. And he that was there when he was God and came in and was housed in that where that nature existed that was called human was he who never laid aside either nature. He is distinct among both kinds of nature, both God and man. By assuming human nature, he could experience what being God and having a nature of God could never understand. Look at the book of Hebrews, the second chapter. You say, well, I thought God knew and understood everything. Well, there's a difference in knowing and understanding something and experiencing it and having compassion on those who were in the same position. Look at Hebrews, the second chapter, and we're going to start with verse 16. For verily he took not on himself the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. See, taking on. He came, preceded that that he took on. He came to house himself in that flesh. There were then two natures, and two spirits are beings in that one body. And he took on a type of humanity that came after the seed of Abraham. He took on himself the seed of Abraham. Being in the seed of Abraham, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. You see, he wasn't made a man. Now there was a human being in that body, but Christ took on himself the likeness of his brethren. Why? That he might be a merciful 
and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, that he might make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Here's the clarity. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Christ came, as the Indians tell us, to walk a mile in somebody else's moccasins. There's the time that you can fully and clearly understand what the person who has walked that mile has gone through. <laughs> Turn to Mark the 8th chapter. In Mark 8 and verse 31, as the scriptures teach, we'll read, and he began to teach them <clears throat> that the Son of God must suffer. Now, folks, God, as a nature, cannot suffer. Having that nature, he could not understand suffering. He would not be able to comprehend what he could not experience. And so God, having created this plan in the councils of eternity, determined to send one of their nature to house himself with one of our nature so that he could be intertwined and intermixed with that being and then be able to experience what our nature goes through. He was dispatched for a special purpose and commissioned to represent the sender so he could comprehend the created. So God the Son, never having been created, took upon himself that role when the Council of Eternity established that that function should be played. And as a role-playing, Jesus came and housed himself in flesh along with a being that was human so that God could understand man. So in the 31st verse, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. In the Old Testament, we have a type of the death of Christ on Calvary's tree when Abraham was commanded to sacrifice his only begotten son, Isaac, the only one of his kind, the only son that Abraham had by Sarah. There would never, ever be another one like him. There was never one that was ever qualified as he. He was solely, totally, and distinctly special. But God said, Abraham, after 99 years, and the boy grew to be around 20 to 22 years of age, so they think, God told him to take Isaac and sacrifice him. Abraham didn't rebel. He didn't pitch a fit. He didn't act like a fool. He just said what the Lord said to be done was what was going to be done. And the Hebrew writer said, Abraham reasoned that if God brought Isaac from a dead womb of Sarah, it wouldn't be any problem for God to raise Isaac from the dead. So he didn't hesitate at all. So Abraham and Isaac went off. And Isaac asked his father, Father, 
where are we going to offer the sacrifice? And Abraham answered his son, God will provide. And when Isaac came to Mount Moriah, which later was called Mount Calvary, there's where God had intended for Abraham to offer Isaac as an example to man. And when Isaac was tied to the altar of sacrifice and Abraham had his knife who was going to slit the throat of Isaac to render his blood, God called out from a bush. Now the God who called out from the bush was the messenger of the covenant, the messenger of the council, the God who had created all things. He cried out to Abraham to stay his hand because he said, I am going to be the sacrifice. So he who was to become the lamb demanded that he be the lamb as an expression of love to the will of God the Father. He became the lamb as he demanded. So on Calvary's tree, or what used to be called Mount Moriah, there in a place called Golgotha, he who demanded that a lamb was the type of sacrifice that would appease God, demanded that he became the lamb that would be sacrificed. So when we see the parallel between these two stories, we understand that God the Son determined to die when he came. What good would it have been for him to be a sacrifice and he not be offered? Now, there's some people that let on like or think that when Jesus got to Calvary, he chickened out, didn't want to be a, a sacrifice, and he said, oh, God, don't let me die. No, no, but I guess not my will, but that'll be done. Lord, I guess I'll put up with it if you will make me. But that was not what Jesus was doing. He was not made. He was a sacrifice because of his own will, because of his own demand. Look with me to the book of John, the 12th chapter. Jesus speaking in verse 23 says, The, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this world. So Jesus' plea was, Father, glorify thy name. Now isn't that the way Jesus started his discussion with, Jesus, with God the Father in John the 17th chapter? And verse 1, look over there right quickly. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. 
glorify thy son. How was it that God the Father was going to glorify and allowed to have glorified his son? Well, go back to John 12 again in case you didn't miss it. We'll go back and look at it again because it's so plain it takes help to, help to misunderstand it. He said, now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Verse 27, Father, save me from this hour. No, for this cause came I unto this hour. So, Father, glorify thy name. And then, of course, the people that stood by after Jesus had said, glorify thy name, heard a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And the people that stood by heard it, said it was thundered. Others said, an angel spake to him. But Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sake. God the Father didn't have to come down here and shore me up. He didn't have to say, yeah, good boy, keep going. That I was committed to. He was sent, dispatched for a special purpose. And for these people that think that when Jesus got here, he set aside or laid aside part of his deity, he wouldn't have been God. If he wasn't God and he was man, man sacrificing man was not sufficient. Look at Isaac. It had to be God who was sacrificed. And he, of course, like Isaac, was a homenogenes. But then again, there's a lot of people that teach us that the reign of Christ was prophesied as the son of David, not the son of God. So why do people not understand that there's a distinction with the son of David and the son of God? You have the human and you have deity. The son of David was he who would reign as king of kings and lord of lords. Had Jesus not become a part of a being where God resided, him being the son of David wouldn't have done the job. You know who the other son of David was? Well, I think he had seven or eight. The one that we know most about was Solomon. Of course, Solomon was no ho-homogenes. He was not one of his kind because Solomon, if you'll remember, had an older brother that died. So there was somebody else of Solomon and Bathsheba. Then after Solomon, they had another son whose name, if I'm not mistaken, was Nathan. So Solomon was not a homogenes. He was, though, a son of David, but not the son of David, that God the Father had promised to reign on David's throne. What is man that man's nature would bring a glory to the God nature? Well, that that is true is oftentimes misunderstood. Now, I want you to listen to this. It's not hard, but it's really not that easy. Why? I can't understand. It is against any principle of humanity to be as God. With God, 
Anything is to serve. Anything is to impoverish yourself. Anything is to be humble and do for somebody else without any recognition or receipt of a claim for yourself. Folks, this is the most astounding thing that you've ever heard of. We see it in a couple of places. That God came to pick man up by his bootstraps so that God and man sharing in a nature would be typified of those who would be heirs for eternity. Now let me reach that for you. Turn with me to the book of Acts. I mean Romans, the 8th chapter. In Romans 8, the apostle Paul by inspiration, of course, of the Holy Spirit, said the Spirit, verse 16, beareth witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs. God the Son came so that the Son of Man, humanity, could share equally in eternity with God the Son. What other being do you know that is that unselfish and that condescending and not self-serving like humanity? His reign was prophesied as the son of David, not the son of God. And his reign being prophesied as the son of David, not the son of God, he was the, the one who would take man's nature join it to God's nature and bring glory to himself that no other member of deity could declare. He typified in David what God the Father had intended for man to understand. David, you know, was the king of Israel who had to destroy all the enemies of his people so his sons could build his temple out of what had already existed. Now listen to those words because they mean quite a bit. It was David who had a fine house to live in. He said, I, I can't do this. I've got to build a house for God. God said, David, because you have been a warrior and blood has been on your hands, you will not be allowed to build my temple but your children can. And of course, the temple was something that was built out of something that God had made to begin with. Cedar, gold, stone, all of those other things that built the temple. So when Jesus Christ came as the son of David, he could not be the warrior king who would build the temple. He would have to give that to we who become his sons who then have the power by his testament to build his temple, the church of Christ, out of what had already existed and that was sinful mankind. He made us from something that had been made and gone astray. Like Solomon built the temple out of something that had not seen a beauty and a glory likened to that 
which the temple of Solomon displayed. Now, you know, they'd take those old rough and superfluous stones. They'd take that rock. They'd take that cedar. And the quality of those men who would be involved in building that temple took something that was normal, not ornate at all, not considered beautiful, not considered worth of any value, and they built what is called the eighth wonder of the world. As far as majesty and glory and beauty was concerned, there was nothing ever like the Temple of Solomon. So when Jesus Christ came to this world and he died <coughs> for, for the Church of Christ, he commissioned the Church of Christ to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Oh, it's sad sometimes that people think that when they have what they call a salvation experience, the Lord talks to them. You see, that's contradictory to the law of God. Jesus was the messenger of the covenant. He was the, counsel, the, the minister of the council. He was the one who would come to declare the Father and what God's love had demanded. That is, he was going to elevate man to err jointly with God. And nobody understood that. So Jesus came to explain it. But when he came to explain it, he would be known to be the son of David who would sit on that throne instead of the son of God. See what God has done with humanity? See how he's placed us on an even, equal pedestal? Now, no, not because we deserve it. No, not because we're worth it. It reminds me of that verse in Psalms 8 and Hebrews 2. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him? He's a flunky. He's a failure. He's sinned. He's gone against the Lord of glory. And you're going to raise that being up to equality with God the Son? Uh, unfortunately, people think if Jesus speaks to them, that means they're saved. God the Son would never tell somebody, now listen, what to do to be saved. That wasn't his job. That wasn't his function. That's the function of the church of Christ. That's what we are to do. Prime example, Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was on the road to Damascus. Jesus met him at midday, and he was brighter than the noonday sun, Christ was. And Jesus cried out to Saul, 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 why persecutest thou me? Now you can find this in Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26. Somebody said, well, Saul was saved right there. No, he wasn't. Because it wasn't just a few minutes that Saul said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And Jesus said, go into Damascus and there will be told thee what thou must do. Something you've got to do, man. You're lost. You need to be saved. You go into Damascus. What do you mean Jesus didn't know what to tell him to do to be saved? You mean Jesus couldn't verbalize that? Was he tongue-tied? Was he afraid of Saul? What was the problem? Angels and spirits and deity do not tell humanity what to do to be saved. No, 
Man has to tell man. And that's the reason Jesus commissioned his apostles, who were men, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So Saul of Tarsus is in Damascus praying for three days and three nights. Jesus appeared unto a human being, a man called Ananias. And he said, Ananias, go over to see Saul, for behold, he prayeth. Ananias began to argue with the Lord a little bit. Lord, don't you not heard about him? I mean, you know, you can send me to my own death. I'll do that, but maybe. But I, you know. No, he said, uh, you go tell him what he must do. Ananias came in. Saul of Tarsus was praying, hadn't eaten, was blind. Bad condition for a human being. Ananias came in and said, Saul, the Lord even Jesus hath appeared to thee on the way that thou should see his face and hear his voice. And now why tarriest thou? Now I'm going to tell you what to do, Saul. Jesus wouldn't. And he didn't send Gabriel or Michael or anybody else. He didn't send the Pope of Rome. He didn't send some denominational pastor. He didn't send some Muslim cleric. He sent a preacher of the Church of Christ. Ananias said, Saul, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Saul said, immediately, I was obedient to that heavenly vision. Later, as he wrote to the church of Christ in Rome, he said, know ye not that so many of us, us, you know, that means Paul and, and the church at Rome, so many of us, as we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death. Therefore, we, you know what the us and the we means, don't you? You know. So Paul was one who was baptized into Christ by the commandment of the preacher of the gospel who was sent by Jesus Christ when Jesus could have just done it himself. But see, God doesn't do that. You want to know what to do to be saved? You got to find a preacher of the gospel or a member of the church of Christ. No, it doesn't have to be a man. It could be a woman. She'll tell you what to do to be saved just as easily as a man. The difference is she's not been commissioned to baptize these people into Christ. And that means she'd have to have a brother in Christ to do that. But Jesus was brought to this world and was resurrected so that he could reign at the right hand of God. Now, some of these people say that Jesus is not reigning at the right hand of God. He's going to come back and reign a thousand years in Jerusalem. Got your Bibles? Turn to me to Acts 2. In Acts 2, this same Jesus, whom you crucified, God hath raised from the dead to be both Lord and Christ. Now, in Acts, the second chapter, as Peter had preached this sermon and the gospel of Christ had been heard, and these people cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, Repent and be baptized. The Holy Spirit was speaking through Peter, but Peter was the spokesman. But he said in verse 34 of Acts 2, if you're with me, David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Set thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. 
when they were understood that he was both Lord and Christ, they repented and were baptized for their remission of sins. You say, well, does it say he was reigning on God's throne or at his right hand? Oh, yeah. Look with me to verse 30. Well, let's start with verse 29. Men and brethren, Acts 2, verse 29. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David that he's both dead and buried in his sepulchers with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to Christ, I mean to David, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Somebody's waiting for Christ to come and sit on David's throne in Jerusalem. Man, I mean, you, you might as well not wait what happened 2,000 years ago. He was raised to sit on his throne. He, somebody says, that's not the right hand of God. Oh, no, wait a minute, just let me keep reading. Therefore, being exalted by the right hand of God, he was raised to sit on his throne. He, seeing this beforehand, spake of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God the Father, when Jesus ascended on the cloud to the ancient of days. In Hebrews, the first chapter, and verse 18, met Jesus as he entered into the gates of glory. And he said, Set thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. This Jesus did not lay down his deity. So it's really something to understand that you can't lay something aside if you think that that is something that will bring glory and honor. What Jesus did was shed his blood, the blood of God, the blood of God's own son. And when he shed the blood of God's own son, he made it possible you and I could be forgiven of sin. So really, when people tell you that Jesus laid aside his deity or that Jesus wasn't really God or that Jesus was a created being like the Jehovah's Witnesses and all those liars from hell try to teach, they're trying to tell you that there's no blood that'll wash your sins away. Because if Jesus laid aside his deity, it wasn't the blood of God. And the Bible says it's the blood of God that will wash away your sins. So what kind of position or condition do we find ourselves in other than we can believe a lie and be damned? Anybody got any questions about anything so far tonight? If not, I appreciate your time in gathering with us to study these great truths and principles to defend, of course, who our Lord was and what he was. But in conclusion, I want to give you a kind of a, a simple hint as to something you now understand but never before could appreciate. If I told you that Jesus was the two that was one, before our study, maybe you wouldn't have understood that. He was God and human. He was the two that was in one body, right? Let me read you a chapter in the Bible that tells you this without any question or doubt. Turn with me to the book of Revelation. Yeah, this is the book nobody understands because nobody reads it. But let's turn to the book of Revelation the 11th chapter. 
and for brevity's sake, I want to start with you in verse 3. Now, what I'm going to do is read seven or eight verses as it is written. Then what I'm going to do is go back and take the two and forget saying the word two on purpose and say one or an individual, and you'll never have any trouble understanding this chapter. Listen, verse 3, I'll give power unto my two witnesses. And they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days. By the way, that's three and a half years. Clothed in sackcloth, that is in humility. These are the two olive trees. These are the ones that give life. And the two candlesticks, these are the light of the world standing before the God of the earth. They're standing there in front of the devil. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth. The message that came from their mouth would be as fire and will devour their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. If you're going to kill him, God said, I'm going to tell you how you're going to kill him. These have power to shut heaven. They work miracles that it rain not in the days of their prophets, just like the prophet Elijah. And have power over waters to turn them to blood. That's what Moses did when he brought his covenant in. And to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast or the government that descendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them. Jews in Jerusalem the Sanhedrin will rise up against him and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Now let me read this to you again as one individual because Jesus is the two that's one. I will give him power and he will be my witness and he will prophesy three and a half years. He is the olive branch, type typifying that life still can be like it was with Noah and the ark. And the candlestick, he's the light of the world that stands before Satan and declares the truth. And if any man's going to hurt him, he will have the message of God proceeding out of his mouth and devour his enemies with that message. And if you're going to kill him, you're going to kill him this way. He has power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of his prophecy, and has power over waters to turn into blood. He's going to be a miracle worker. And smite the earth with all plagues as often as he will. You say, well, this sounds like Jesus Christ. Well, guess who this is talking about? But he's the two that's one. Son of man, son of God, the lamb and the lion, the bride, I mean the bridegroom and, and the savior. There's, any, there's nothing you can say about Christ that there's not two things that represent him. They're representing the one being. So don't let anybody try to teach you that Jesus gave up his humanity because if he gave up his humanity, he was only God. Or don't let him say that he gave up his deity because if he gave up his deity, there would be no blood that could wash your sins away. This is a damning doctrine that's taught by denominationalism and error to cause people not to have faith and confidence 
in God. Because God did not generate a, a human, he created him. And when he brought Christ into the world, he brought him to save the church that Jesus married from the foundations of the world. Thank you. We hope you have profited from today's study of the mind of God. If you would like a tape of today's program, write to the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ, 384 East Midway Road, White City, Florida, 34982. Remember, never take man's word, only God's word, the Bible, demanding a book, chapter, and verse for everything you accept as belief. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of In Search of the Mind of God with Minister Joe Wilson. If you enjoyed today's sermon, read our regularly updated blog for insightful articles by visiting us online at pslchurchofchrist.com. If you would like to watch previous sermons, they can be viewed on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash PSL Church of Christ. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PSL Church of Christ. Or if you prefer to visit us in person to learn more on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m., as well as Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. And you can visit us at 384 East Midway Road next to Walgreens. See you next week.
things are ready. Come to the feast. Come for the table now is spread. Ye famishing, ye weary, come, and thou shalt be richly fed. Hear the invitation. Come who? Oh, oh. 